Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Out front next, breaking news. New explosions in Gaza as Israeli troops surround hospitals that are already on the brink of collapse. Why the U.S. is sounding its loudest alarm yet tonight. Plus, more breaking news. The FBI seized New York Mayor Eric Adams' phones. Agents approaching the mayor on the street to get the devices. The mayor of the country's largest city responding tonight. Plus, the rock for president. Dwayne Johnson says both parties want him to run for president. And tonight out front is learning he wasn't kidding. Let's go out front. Good evening, I'm Brianna Keeler in for Aaron Burnett. Out front tonight, we have breaking news, new explosions over Gaza and this video of an intense firefight. Flares lighting up the sky. Our Nick Robertson on the border with Gaza telling us this usually means ground troops are on the move. This assault comes as northern Gaza's overcrowded hospitals are now bearing the brunt of Israel's intense strikes. The head of a pediatric hospital telling CNN they're completely surrounded. He says there are tanks outside the hospital and they inside cannot leave. That is raising new fears that the lives of vulnerable patients are at risk. According to the Palestinian Ministry of Health, which relies on numbers from the Hamas-controlled Ministry of Health in Gaza, more than 11,000 people have been killed from strikes like this one at a school. Now, CNN cannot independently verify those numbers. Today, America's top diplomat, Secretary of State Tony Blinken, warned that far too many Palestinians are being killed. Much more needs to be done uh, to protect civilians and uh, to make sure that humanitarian assistance reaches them. Far too many Palestinians have been killed. Far too many have suffered uh, these past weeks. We have been trying to get in touch with Mahmoud Shalabi, an aid worker from northern Gaza, whose story we have been following closely. But unfortunately, our repeated messages are not even going through. We do, however, have an audio message that he sent to us the last time he had a phone connection. No place is safe. If I queue for bread, it's unsafe. If I go to the market, the market was bombed. Um, if I go to the pharmacy, it's unsafe. So I, I can't really even go to the Indonesian hospital to see what's happening there and provide you know support uh, with whatever I can because it's really unsafe right now. Oren Lieberman is out front live in Tel Aviv. And Oren, what is happening on the ground tonight? Brianna, you saw those pictures provided to us from my colleague Nick Robertson, his team's there and his cameras there that have seen a heavy Israeli bombardment in northern Gaza. This, as the IDF says, it's deepening its operation on the ground there, trying to go after the tunnels, which it acknowledges is a difficult and complex operation. Now, weeks into the Israeli ground incursion, the number of civilians killed in Gaza is mounting, as we hear perhaps the most vocal criticism yet from the U.S. administration of what's happening. In waves of humanity, Palestinians fled. Tens of thousands made their way along Salahadin Street in Gaza. A six-hour humanitarian corridor offered a brief window to escape 
as the Israeli military urges Palestinians to move south. According to the Palestinian Ministry of Health in the West Bank, which draws its figures from the Hamas-controlled health ministry in Gaza, more than 11,000 Palestinians have been killed in Gaza since October 7th. On Wednesday, Barbara Leaf, the U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for Near Eastern Affairs, told the House committee the overall casualties may be higher. And it could be that they're even higher than are being cited. We'll know only after the guns fall silent. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken voiced some of the harshest U.S. criticism yet of Israel's campaign in Gaza. Much more needs to be done uh, to protect civilians and uh, to make sure that humanitarian assistance reaches them. Far too many Palestinians have been killed. Far too many have suffered uh, these past weeks. On Friday, the Israel Defense Forces moved deeper into Gaza City, targeting Hamas leadership and their center of power. The IDF says it has struck more than 15,000 terror targets in Gaza and seized about 6,000 weapons. Near the heart of Gaza City, our troops are deployed and are preparing to launch additional attacks against Hamas infrastructure. Again, not against the civilian population. They aren't the enemy, but Hamas is. Gaza's medical system, edging toward collapse, faced another danger as Israel carried out strikes near hospitals in the northern part of the Strip. The Israeli military has now surrounded the Al Nasser Hospital in northern Gaza, according to the hospital director, with tanks visible on the streets outside. The staunch U.S. support for Israel has come with a cost. A State Department cable obtained by CNN warns that U.S. support for Israel is being seen in Arab countries as material and moral culpability in what they consider to be possible war crimes. Despite growing international calls for a ceasefire, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said Israel will continue until Hamas is defeated and cannot return. The fight not only on one front. In Tel Aviv, a barrage of rocket fire triggered red alerts and interceptions. On Israel's northern border, the IDF says it struck Hezbollah targets after an anti-tank missile injured three Israeli soldiers at a military post. And for the first time, Israel used its most advanced long-range air defense system, the Arrow 3, to intercept an incoming attack over the Red Sea. To this point, the IDF says it has encircled Gaza City and is making its way towards the center of Gaza City as they prepare for what they're saying will be the next phase, perhaps going after, in a bigger and more concerted way, Hamas's underground infrastructure and Brianna, that will come with both challenges and consequences. Yeah, they certainly will. Uh, Oren Lieberman in Tel Aviv, thank you for that report. And out front now, retired Army Major General James Spider Marks and Seth Jones, whose analysis of this conflict is being extensively utilized by the U.S. government. He is the senior vice president at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Uh, General, you just heard the IDF saying it is now near the heart of Gaza City. What does that fight look like tonight? Well, what it really looks like is an extremely difficult fight. Let me show you how this will unfold. Now, when we go back to when the IDF entered into Gaza, they essentially came along three axes. And by doing that, you've isolated where the primary fight is taking place right now. Going to the next map, what you really see with Gaza City is if you could fly a drone over Gaza City right now, what you would see is the IDF has created an outer ring, essentially, with strong points in different locations that are interconnected visually, through communications, through supporting fire. And the intent of that is to keep Hamas fighters or reinforcing kinds of capabilities out. 
What you would also see then is kind of an inner ring where most of the fighting is going to take place and most of the clearance of those tunnels and those individual locations where inventory of weapon systems, where the late, latest locations of where the Hamas leadership might be located. And what that is intended to do is to keep Hamas inside so the Israelis can do some very precise and some very hard fighting. But this is described doctrinally as a three-block war. We're on one block, you're doing some very high-intensity conventional fighting. On the second block, you may be doing some very precise targeting, going after individuals. You may be trying to separate combatants. And on the third block, which is important to understand, on the third block, you're probably conducting humanitarian efforts. So the issue all along is, can you conduct operations and conduct humanitarian operations? Yes, there's doctrine that supports that. So the international claim that you need to take a tactical pause, which is not a military term. There is no term for pause. You're either attacking or you're defending. You can simultaneously conduct humanitarian efforts, which should take place, which could take place here along the sea. You can bring in some mercy ships to handle a lot of the medical requirements, as well as humanitarian. You could create humanitarian corridors and you can bring in resupplies. And Seth, I mean, to that point, this kind of fighting consequences, as, as Oren was talking about, what kind of casualties could the IDF incur when, uh, when it begins conducting these kinds of operations in the heart of the city there? Well, we're already seeing, Brianna, the IDF incur some casualties already. Uh, they're facing a range of improvised explosive devices in and around those areas of Gaza, Gaza City. Uh, they've got rocket-propelled grenades that Hamas has shot, and other groups, frankly, in the area. Uh, they've got other types of um, uh, snipers that have uh, sh shot at IDF forces. And then we, we certainly see um, a range of Hamas operatives coming into and out of the tunnels uh, with additional weapons. So uh, this is a very difficult environment for the IDF. They know it well. Uh, and this is really where intelligence is so important to identify where those Hamas, Islamic Jihad and other fighters are, what they have and where they're going. In Spider Israel, intercepting a missile that was fired at the southern Israeli city of Ilat on the Red Sea. This was targeted in a drone attack. Israel says it was launched from Syria, but Yemen's Houthi rebels have also claimed that attack. And the IDF and Hezbollah trading fire after more attacks were launched on northern Israel from Lebanon. At what point is this not just a missile fired here or there, but instead it's Israel getting drawn into a multi-front war? Yeah, you need to look at what Tehran is directing. Let's, let's be frank with each other, and we have discussed this many times. Hamas conducted their attack on the 7th of October on the direction of, of Iran, and what Hezbollah does is at the direction of Iran as well. And so clearly the intent, I must say, the, the strategic objective of the attack on the 7th was hopefully to draw the rest of the Arab world into this so that Israel would collapse. I mean, that's their charter. That's why Hamas and Hezbollah exist. And that's what Iran is trying to achieve. So what's happening is clearly is you think that Tehran hopes that the Israelis are focused, laser focused in on Gaza and might not be completely engaged as they should be along the northern border up here. Well, clearly what the Israelis have been through before is that type of requirement to fight a multi-front war. What may happen if Hezbollah begins to create a number of missiles that would 
overwhelm the Iron Dome system that Israel has, and if they were to use the tunnel system, which exists in northern Israel and southern Lebanon as well, so that there could be Hezbollah fighters infiltrating in, we now look at the possibility, not the probability, and this belongs to our Defense Department and State Department to um, engage in. So we've got the Eisenhower Carrier Strike Group. Do they then go after targets in southern Lebanon that are conducting these missile strikes into Israel? That is the key question. That broadens the fight into another country. And I do want to mention that we are seeing some new flares uh, up in the region there in Gaza where this fighting is going on. You know, Seth, look, this is difficult territory. And if there's anyone who knows it, it's America post 9-11. So where is the line here for Israel between responding to valid anger over a horrific attack on civilians and that same response creating more terrorists than you're defeating? Well, it's a very difficult uh, objective that the Israelis have set out to eliminate Hamas. I actually don't think it's entirely possible, part because Hamas is an ideology more than just a a group. Uh, But I would point out that this type of urban combat is extremely violent. Um, It it does impact civilians. Uh, That State Department cable is certainly true that, that U.S. diplomats have been under pressure. But I would just remind everyone that as we look across the Middle East in the last several years, the Saudis pounded targets in Yemen. Uh, Over 15,000 civilians were killed. The Syrians killed well over 200,000 with the Russians targeting hospitals and humanitarian aid convoys. Uh, 10,000 in Mosul itself uh, that were killed by Iraqi and other forces uh, as the Iraqis and the U.S. moved into Mosul. So I would just remind everyone, too, that this type of warfare is violent, including for other Arab regimes that have been involved in it. So, um, so you know, again, this is not just an Israeli or even a, a, a U.S. Uh, situation. General Marks, Seth Jones, thank you so much to both of you. We do appreciate it. And out front next, we have breaking news. The FBI seizing the phones of New York City Mayor Eric Adams. And we're now learning agents walked right up to him on the street. The mayor of the largest city in the country. And once a rising star in his party responds. Plus, CNN learning Democrats did, in fact, reach out to The Rock about running for president. Who do you have a shot at winning? And Ukraine sinking two Russian ships today using sea drones as Russia turns back to Wagner fighters for help. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support, your sleep number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 
Breaking news, the FBI seizes New York City Mayor Adams' phones and iPad. It's a dramatic escalation in the federal investigation into the Adams campaign. And it comes just days after FBI agents raided the home of the mayor's top campaign fundraiser. Polo Sandoval is out front at Gracie Mansion, which is the official residence of the mayor. Polo, this is the mayor of the country's biggest city, a rising star in the Democratic Party. What more can you tell us about what's really a stunning FBI seizure here? Stunning and quite significant here, Brianna. Now, at the mansion itself, no obvious signs of any federal investigation, though, as you point out, this seizure of the mayor's electronic devices actually happened earlier this week, though it's just coming to light tonight. And some pretty uh, remarkable color coming from our colleague Gloria Pasmino's uh, reporting now paints a clearer picture of what went down on Monday night as the mayor, according to city sources, had just wrapped up a speaking engagement here in Manhattan, specifically at NYU, when he was approached by FBI agents, the mayor's security detail asked to step aside. And it's at that point, uh, according to sources, that FBI agents then boarded the mayor's SUV and then served him with that search warrant, that uh, court authorized search warrant that required the mayor then to hand over his cell phones and also that iPad that he often uses to uh, carry out his mayoral duties. Now, the FBI not commenting tonight, though it's important to point out, as, as you just mentioned, that this happened just days after the chief, uh, really the chief fundraiser for the mayor's campaign, her home raided by federal agents last week. Again, just to remind viewers, the focus of that investigation uh, by federal authorities seeking to confirm or at least uh, look into the possibility that the mayor's campaign received foreign funds, which would be illegal. Uh, sources close to Adam saying immediately after that seizure happened on Monday, he returned home and actually ordered a review. And according to City Hall and also uh, some other members of the Adams administration that they were able to identify at least one person within that campaign that, according to officials, acted improperly. However, they declined to say exactly who that person is and that they intended to hand over even more electronic devices to federal authorities as they tend to fully cooperate with this investigation. I want you to read a little bit of the statement that was released by Eric Adams himself through his campaign attorney tonight. As the mayor wrote, as a former member of law enforcement, I expect all members of my staff to follow the law and fully cooperate with any sort of investigation. And I will continue to do exactly that. Though it's important to mention here that this, this development says a lot about what federal agents may potentially find on the electronic devices of the mayor of America's largest city, a mayor who insists, uh, Brianna, that he has nothing to hide. Yeah, certainly. Uh, Polo Sandoval live for us outside of the mayor's official residence tonight. And out front now, Rob D'Amico, former FBI agent, and Basil Smeichel, a New York City-based Democratic strategist. Uh, Rob, starting with you here, we just heard this. The FBI approaching the mayor on the street, serving him a warrant right there in his car to seize his phones and his iPad. How extraordinary is this? Yeah, it is a big step. Um, and the FBI doesn't take it lightly that they're doing this to the mayor of the largest city in the country. Um, and I guarantee headquarters was very involved in it. Um, and the courts itself uh, look at the seizure of phones to be probably the next closest uh, protected one, except for like listening in on phone calls. So it wasn't a lightly thing. It wasn't light from the courts and it wasn't light from the FBI to actually do this. And, and Basil, you heard the mayor 
he's repeatedly denying wrongdoing, but this isn't the first time that he's been linked to troubling allegations, right? We know that. His ties include his former building commissioner indicted on 16 felonies for trading favors for bribes, a former deputy mayor named an unindicted co-conspirator in a uh, corruption scheme, a retired police inspector Adams worked with was indicted for conspiring to funnel illegal campaign donations, and his former pastor was charged with fraud and extortion. Do you find his denials credible? Well, I think everybody's just doing a wait and see right now. But with all of these denials, one wonders, you know, what is the end of all of this? So, um, I, it, and that's, I think, what we're all trying to, to, to figure out here. Just consider the fact that the entire political establishment of New York City right now, actually New York State, is in Puerto Rico for their annual post-election conference, and that they all probably got this news at the same time. And so uh, as we've looked at what's happened really since the summer, um, these individuals being arrested because of concerns or, or allegations around straw donors in his campaign, as you said, the uh, former commissioner being arrested on bribery charges, the fundraiser's uh, home being raided just a few days ago, and now this. Um, there is this escalation, which is the word that has been used, um, and and it is problematic for the mayor. There's a wait and see, but I think so many um, in the political world here in New York are saying, this is just too much, um, and, and are waiting for him to have a more definitive um, response to what's happened here and being and be able to talk more about his involvement or lack thereof so that the city can move forward. Rob, let's talk about the range of outcomes here from, you know, nothing to maybe a possibility of evidence tying him directly to illegal donations from a foreign government. What would that mean for him? Could that possibly be jail time? Uh, it, it depends. It, if it's just getting money from a foreign government and it's a violation of uh, the campaign laws, I, I don't think jail time is likely. But if you look at it as a quid pro quo, was there something in there that the mayor did for those donations or implied at that point, or even something else even more serious, is the, it, was he acting as an agent of the Turkish government, which then gets into very severe fines uh, or very severe uh, jail time of almost up to 10 years. So it depends what comes from this. I think this is just the beginning of this, the thread being pulled. Once you get someone's phone uh, with the apps today, people have that they think they're secure communicating on. And I think that's one reason they probably took it very quickly because if word got out, some of these apps, if you delete those messages, they're unretrievable on some of this uh, without having that device. So I think that's why you saw the, the, the act right there on the street, getting them into the vehicle uh, and taking his phones and his iPad. Yeah, giving him no notice, obviously. Uh, Basil Adams, I I've said it, he was once considered a rising star in the Democratic Party. You can see him uh, in a lot of photos. He's here with former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. He's with President Biden. He once called himself the Biden of Brooklyn. The New York Times ran this headline, Why Top Democrats Are Listening to Eric Adams Right Now. I mean, are those days now behind him? Well, he's definitely had some tough days. He's gone after President Biden and uh, the governor of the state of New York, Kathy Hochul, a member of the same party, because of uh, his concerns around their response to the migrant crisis. And just to just to put in this sort of point that all of this is happening, why he's trying to manage a crisis. He was in D.C. for meetings and came back very suddenly after his fundraiser uh, fundraiser's house was raided because he was and he was there talking about the crisis 
as it was unfolding and begging Washington to do more. So even as he's trying to manage this, there are so many policy issues that uh, are going to be sort of uh, neglected potentially because he's got to manage this this personal crisis related to his uh, potentially his fundraising or anything else that the FBI may be looking at. But in terms of the rising star factor, um, he he was a mayoral candidate, a Democrat, a black Democrat, or the second African-American to ever be elected mayor of the city of New York. That was also tough on crime in a way sort of going against a lot of the progressive language and policymaking in New York at that time. So he, yes, was seen as this rising star, maybe not so much anymore. Rob D'Amico, Basil Smeichel, thank you so much to both of you tonight. And next, an out front update, a source confirming Democrats did, in fact, talk to The Rock about running for president. That's after he said both parties actually wanted him to run. Well, would he stand a chance? Plus, Ukraine releasing dramatic video of a strike on two Russian warships. New tonight, a source familiar with conversations confirming to CNN that Democrats did reach out to Dwayne The Rock Johnson about running for president. That just one day after Johnson had the political world buzzing by saying this on a podcast with Trevor Noah. At the beginning of the year, uh, at the end of the year, rather, in 2022, I got a visit from the parties Mm -hmm. asking me if I was going to run and if I could run. Well, the former professional wrestler turned movie star ruled out a run for now, but did not dismiss a future White House bid. And Johnson would be far from the first celebrity to choose to enter the world of politics, of course. Tom Foreman is out front. You have two choices. Blasting into a presidential election in which polls say many voters don't like either main candidate, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, actor, wrestler, superstar, is hinting at a run. If that's truly what the people want, then of course I would consider it. If he does, he'd follow former President Donald Trump and dozens of other celebrities who have considered, tried, and sometimes succeeded in spinning their fame into political gold. The one he might most want to study? Ronald Reagan, who used his skills from film, TV, and radio to pick off one political challenger after another. Proving that his actor's sense of timing... There you go again. ...and humor... I am not going to exploit, for political purposes, my opponent's youth and inexperience. Could carry him all the way to the White House and, with a robust agenda popular with his party, keep him there. That pattern has been repeated at lower levels. Fred Grandy turned nine years on the love boat into eight years as a congressman from Iowa. Sonny Bono was a pop star, then a mayor, then a congressman from California until his untimely and accidental death. But I don't think that's how it works. Which Minnesota senator started out as a comedian? That's right. Me, Al Frank. (laughs) And of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger pressed his strongman persona into eight years as governor of California. I want to be the governor for the people. I want to represent everybody. 
What the hell is this? It's your strengths and weaknesses. So is The Rock ready to enter the political jungle? He's tipped his hat to a presidential run before, although always with hesitation. I love our country and everyone in it. I also love being a daddy. And that's the most important thing to me, is being a daddy. The thing is, we don't know if he would be a good president. When any celebrity runs, we rarely know if they're going to be good at the job. But political strategists know this. If they're already famous, if they're likable, if people generally think they're trustworthy, those are big steps toward being electable. Brianna? Very good point. Tom Foreman, thank you for that. Out front now, former Republican Congressman Joe Walsh. He is now the director of Mission Democracy. All right, first off, Joe, I mean, would The Rock have a shot? Oh, gosh, yes, Brianna. A absolutely. I mean, look, we are in the middle of a huge populist moment in this country. The average American is sick of our politics. They think our politics is broken. They're sick of both parties. Uh, uh, somebody from outside of the political world like him uh, would definitely have a shot. Yeah, I'm, I, I'll be honest. I love his movies. I especially love Jumanji. I don't know if the skills are transferable, but if some Democrats want an alternative to Joe Biden so badly that they looked to The Rock, what does that say to you? Um, it tells you that both parties, Brianna, recognize that most Americans don't want this matchup, Biden-Trump. Uh, oh my God, that makes most Americans just roll their eyes. They, they're, they're turned off by it. And it makes sense. But I think, look, it's 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 too late. And if somebody like The Rock were going to run, I think he's universally respected and loved on really all sides. And it would have to be somebody pretty unique like that, that both sides like. But it's it's almost and he'd have to run. He or she would have to run probably as an independent because both parties are so damaged. But it, Brianna, at this point, it's too late. OK, well, so as Tom pointed out. Uh, you know, Reagan and Trump, both celebrities before becoming president, comfortable in front of the camera, charismatic. They knew how to play to and connect with voters. Obviously, The Rock has that, right? Would it even matter what his policy views and positions were? No, it, it really wouldn't. And look, look at Trump. What the heck was Trump? He, he still doesn't have policy positions. He was a Democrat. He was a Republican. No, that's not. Again, most Americans, Brianna, right now, are so fed up and sick of our politics and they recognize that our politics is broken. We're looking for a hero, a heroine, somebody from outside of that ugly world of politics. It doesn't matter necessarily, as you said, where they are on policy. We're just looking for someone different who can help fix what seems to be so broken. I would be, I would be curious particularly, though, on the issue of abortion. And to that end, on the Republican side, you had the former president, Trump, sitting down for an interview with Univision, and he repeatedly took credit again for the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade. Let's listen. Everybody thought Roe v. Wade wouldn't ever happen, and now it did. We stopped a very radical agenda, and something will be worked out now because of what we were able to do. That was a tremendous thing when we did that. So look, he does get the credit here. He got the court to where it is so that it was set up to overturn Roe. But politically, that issue has so far backfired for Republicans. Is his bragging about this a smart strategy? 
No, but Brianna, and I know it's Friday night, so I'll be very careful. Trump's an idiot. He, he, he doesn't know when and not and when not to talk about this issue. You're right. This issue is killing Republicans in blue states, purple states, and red states. Republicans across the spectrum do not want to be talking about this issue because, Brianna, they don't know how to talk about it. I mean, and I say that as someone who's pro-life. We don't know how to deal with the position we're in right now. It's energizing Democrats. Yeah, we've we've seen the discussion. It's a very difficult one for Republicans. Joe Walsh, great to see you tonight. Thank you. Thanks, Brianna. Out front next, we'll show you the moment Ukraine sunk two Russian ships using sea drones. Plus, they claim they were just hunting ducks and wild pigs. But the two brothers living in Texas shot two migrants who had just crossed the border. And one of those migrants is speaking out tonight. The assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protest that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. New tonight, dramatic new video that Ukraine says shows the moment it sunk two Russian landing craft with sea drones in occupied Crimea. This amid new signs the war in Ukraine could be ramping up. The UK just trained more than 30,000 Ukrainian recruits who will be headed to the front lines, its largest military training efforts since World War II. Russia also trying to recruit former fighters from the Wagner mercenary group back onto the battlefield. Fred Plaikin is out front. Ukrainian naval drones near the coast of occupied Crimea. Kiev says they hit two Russian landing ships destroying the vessels, a key blow to Putin's navy, Ukraine's military intelligence tells CNN. According to updated information, they were sunk and can't be repaired, he says. Armored equipment was also destroyed, in particular a BMP on board one of the landing craft. CNN can't independently verify the incident, and so far Moscow has not commented on it. But Kiev says they're continuing to pile pressure on Russia's forces, Ukraine saying its troops recently struck this corvette in the port of Kerch with several cruise missiles. And the military intelligence service is claiming responsibility for assassinating a former pro-Russian militia commander in the occupied city Luhansk. On the ground, though, the going remains tough. The Ukrainians acknowledging they're barely making any progress, even as they released this drone footage purporting to show massive losses of Russian armor near the town of Divka. I'm sure that we will have success. It's difficult. While both sides continue to bleed manpower with little territory changing hands, the Russians seem eager to get former fighters of what was the Wagner private military company, once led by Yevgeny Prigozhin, who was killed in a plane crash in August, back on the battlefield. Chechen strongman Ramzan Kadyrov posting this video, showing his forces training together with Russian mercenaries, some with Wagner patches on their uniforms. The units practicing everything from infantry assaults to medical evacuations. 
Russian President Vladimir Putin himself checking out military dune buggies at the Russian Army's Southern Command in Rostov-on-Don with his defense minister and his top general. This is the very building Wagner fighters occupied during the group's short-lived mutiny in June. Putin has long advocated for Wagner fighters to get back on the battlefield. Today, you have the opportunity to continue your service to Russia by signing a contract with the defense ministry, he says, or other law enforcement or security agencies, or to return home. The Russians claim hundreds of thousands have already signed up to fight in Ukraine, while Kiev vows to stand its ground no matter how many soldiers Moscow sends. And Brianna Vladimir Zelensky saying that the Ukrainians have been making some pretty important progress in the way south of the country near the city of Kherson, where they're trying to cross the mighty Dnipro River. But one of the things Zelensky has been saying is that Ukraine will continue to need weapons from the United States and its allies. He says without those weapons, they wouldn't even be in this fight anymore. But he also says they need a lot more of those weapons to continue to take the fight to the Russians. Brianna. Fred Plykin, thank you for that report. Out front next, a story that you'll see first on Outfront. Two brothers living in Texas accused of targeting migrants, even shooting a mother of three in the stomach. They claim they were just duck hunting. Plus, three giant pandas sent home to China from Washington, D.C. ahead of schedule. See the hero welcome they got when they landed. New tonight, 34 migrants have been rescued off the Florida coast after their boat sank as they were trying to reach the U.S. The Coast Guard says they were about eight miles south of the Florida Keys. This is a migrant woman who was shot in the stomach after she crossed the border into Texas, speaks out for the first time. Was she targeted by two men who claim they were just duck hunting? Rosa Flores has this story you'll see first on Outfront. Yeah. Mark and Michael Shepard were arrested on manslaughter and aggravated assault with a deadly weapon charges, but have not been indicted after allegedly shooting at a group of migrants, killing one and wounding another in West Texas over a year ago. The twin brothers told investigators they were hunting ducks, then changed their story to birds, then to javelinas or wild pigs, according to probable cause documents. The brothers do admit to firing the shots. Yes. They admit to firing at animals. Mike was the one who took the shot. Uh, he believed that he was shooting at a javelina. Jesus Sepulveda, a Mexican father of two, died from a shotgun blast to the head. His family believes he was targeted because of his race. Brenda Casillas, a Mexican mother of three, was shot in the stomach. Casillas says she and a group of migrants rushed towards this reservoir, desperate for drinking water, when the two men drove up in a truck and parked here. Y todos, todos escondieron. The migrants tried to hide. Casillas says she hid here. This is where her account and the Shepherd brothers' story diverge. Casillas says the brothers knew the migrants were human, screamed expletives in Spanish, come out, effing asses, and fired twice. We just disagree with, with her version of the events. Defense attorney Brent Mayer says Michael Shepard fired the shots from 150 to 200 yards away, that the brothers don't speak Spanish fluently, you can see right at sunset, so and that the shooting happened at about 6.45 in the evening. 
At that time of night, there is no way that at that distance you would be able to see and recognize that those were humans. So, Mayor's timing doesn't match Casillas' account. What time of day was it? Five or 5.30 p.m. She says this photo of her wound taken moments after the shooting shows daylight. Casillas says she recorded these voice messages and walked for about an hour before calling 911. While the FBI and the Texas Rangers are investigating. It is a hate crime. A hate crime. And lawmakers have called for a Justice Department investigation. Law enforcement agencies would not discuss the case. And prosecutors have not filed formal charges against anyone. Do you think it was racism? No sé por qué lo haría. Sepúlveda's father says the brothers are racists. Did your clients fire these shots with racism or hatred? Absolutely not. I mean, again, how can you be, how can you be racist or have hatred when you're out there thinking that you're just shooting at some wildlife? Garcia says she's learning to live in constant pain. ¿Por qué a mí? ¿Por qué a mí? She says that she's asked God, why her? She says it's simple. The migrant who was killed, Jesus Sepulveda, was her rock during the journey. And she's his only voice and chance at justice. I talked to one other migrant victim who says that this shooting happened during the day, which begs the question, how did these brothers confuse migrants for animals? And if they were indeed hunting, did they go and check on what they had hunted? I asked their attorney these questions, and he says that he maintains that the brothers did not know that these migrants were human, and that after they fired the shots, they didn't go and check on what they had allegedly hunted. And so, Brianna, they didn't report it to police either. Brianna? Very interesting. Uh, we know you'll continue to cover this. Rosa Flores, thank you. Out front next, a homecoming for the National Zoo's three giant pandas more than 7,000 miles from the U.S. And finally tonight, a homecoming for three giant pandas who just three days ago called the D.C. National Zoo home. They are now back in China and quarantining after they were boxed up Wednesday and FedExed back to southwest China. D.C. Zoo staff are calling this a, quote, hiatus in their wildly popular panda program. But Chinese officials are mum on if they'll ever return. That is because U.S. relations with China have been deteriorating for years. And Beijing has been busy rewarding its new friends with pandas, like Russia, which got a new pair in 2019, and Qatar, which got its first panda last year. As for the U.S., Atlanta is the only zoo to still feature pandas from China, but that contract expires next year, and there's still no word on an extension. Thank you so much for joining us. AC360 starts now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country. 
Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.